Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion. Thanks for listening, and thanks for telling all your friends about us. This is a podcast that explores Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Jimmy Fowler. I am Executive Pastor at Redeemer Fellowship. Now, usually Joey would be doing that introduction. Uh, as most of you know, Joe uh, has COVID, and uh, so he's been down and out. We've, uh, we're not able to record any episodes for last week. He's still not um, all... He's still recovering, still recovering. Please keep praying. It's it's a bit up and down. Uh, some days are better than others, and even in within the day, it might go from feeling great. Uh, this you know must be on the tail end of it to, oh gosh, this is horrible. Um, and so please be be praying for him. Uh, I know I was texting him earlier today, and he's uh, unable to talk. Uh, so uh, and and sometimes just has coughing fits. And uh, so yeah, please be in prayer. But the show must go on. And so uh, we decided to bring on Nick Batsig. Now, some of you know Nick. Nick has been on the podcast before, and uh, but he's a Presbyterian. And so we said, let's go ahead and have Presby Week. So we got Nick today. And actually, Nick's going to go ahead and guest go co-host for the rest of the week. And uh, so we got Nick today uh, as we're going through the Baptist Catechism. Uh, we got Nick and uh, Pastor David Strain. Uh, another Presbyterian brother talking about confessional integrity, and that's going to be on tomorrow's Banter of Truth episode. And then Thursday, we've got Nick Batzig and Doug Logan talking about methodology, sociology, theology, a lot of ologies. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, buddy. I'm just so glad you let me be the surrogate ride or die for, for, for Joe. So. Well, I, 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 no, well you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, forever. I know well, that. Well, let's see how, well, I mean, <laughs> let's find out how this goes with Joe. Cause he just, you know, I don't know if he's going to ride or die. Ever. Oh, we'll just see. With all due respect, Joe's had a lot of time on this podcast and sometimes there comes an end. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> oh <my. laughs> that just got dark for you, bro. Huh? This, this one's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, so Nick, for those that don't know you, uh, the, those maybe that haven't, um, uh, listened to you on our podcast before, why don't you give us a brief introduction? Uh, tell us uh, where you're from and, and what do you do? Sure. Yeah. I, um, I planted and pastored a church in Savannah, Georgia in the PCA. And then after that, I worked full-time for Ligonier Ministries, and I pastored a church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Wayside Presbyterian Church. It's a PCA church up on Signal Mountain. And most recently, I've just taken a new call to Church Creek Presbyterian, Church Creek PCA in Charleston, South Carolina, the best city in America. Let it be known. Let it be known, and, best city in America. It is. And... Uh, and I also write um, part-time as a writer for Ligonier Ministries, which I love. So it's great to be on. Thanks for thanks for having me. No, I always uh, love talking to Nick. Uh, every once in a while, I'll get, uh, I, I get the pleasure of a phone call in the evening. And we sit there, and I don't, know, I don't know if I can say this. I'm enjoying a cigar and bourbon. I'm not sure what's going on on the other side of the phone. But I get to enjoy great conversations uh, with Nick. And so uh, I'm really, really excited uh, that he was available to come and, and guest uh, host the podcast for the week. Now, in God's providence, 
Nick. This is not a setup. I, I want you to understand that. This is not a setup. I feel like this is a trap. It's not, it's not mean... a trap. It's not a trap. <laughs> if you go look at our, our podcast list, you look at our Mondays. Like if We go through Baptist, the Baptist Catechism. We go through it on Mondays. The last one we did was question 95. This one is question 96. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read this out loud. So, the, so we can all see just the humor of our Lord. <laughs> and I had to bring Nick in, the Presbyterian, to talk about question 96. Here it goes. How do baptism and the Lord's Supper become effectual means of salvation? Answer. Yes. <laughs> baptism and the Lord's Supper become effectual means of salvation, not for any virtue in them, or in him that doth administer them, but only by the blessing of Christ and the working of the Spirit in those that receive, or, or those that by faith receive them. So, as good a, statement. Great statement. Great statement. You know. So, uh, Nick, as you uh, let's let's go ahead and just talk about the eight hundred pound gorilla in the yeah. room right now. Yeah. Why are you dunking babies? Listen, I'll dunk your babies. No, no, I, I didn't won't tell go, you. I won't, I won't go in nostril first. <laughs> now, 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 I will say this. I will say this. And your listeners know this. The London Baptist 1689 mm -hmm. is an awesome, awesome confession. And it is, you know, largely based on the Westminster Confession of Faith. Yeah. And, you know, I was telling you this earlier, given all the current happenings no, Baptists have been plagiarized in Presbyterian since 1689, buddy. <laughs> I mean, I'm I, just saying. I, I can't, I can't deny you. It's a long heritage. I know. It's a long history. No, no, no. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, right? And, and we talk about this because uh, uh, we've already recorded Tuesday's episode. Uh, we talk about um, how, you know, as we look at, at confessions and we look at the 1689, um, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, 99%, maybe, Absolutely. like, maybe a little less of that but like there are so many similarities and for those that um that don't know i mean there's there's a website out there uh, uh put out by james anderson he's a professor of apologetics at rts in in charlotte and so there he does a tabular comparison of the uh, mm -hmm. 1646 uh wcf and the 1689 london baptist and so it's actually you go through it you see it it's pretty it's, it's very similar. It's very, very similar. And so, you know, we highlight that on the front end because here we have uh, a Reformed Baptist and a Presbyterian, you know, looking at the Baptist catechism, uh, talking about baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so while we joke around and we play around, we do acknowledge and see there is we have so much unity. We have Absolutely. so much unity and we have yes. so much unity on, on the things that are extremely uh, pertinent and important of uh, 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 first degree, right? All, uh, all the first degree, all the all first degree, yes. all the first degree of importance. Yes. Uh, and so while we can go ahead and, and banter around and joke and have fun, we recognize uh, and and see uh, how just the unity that we have with our Presbyterian brothers and sisters. So uh, now baptism is, is one of those areas that we differ on, right? But we don't differ on the answer to the London Baptist question 96. Yeah. yeah to the Baptist catechism here. That, this would be one area where we're, we're in lockstep. That's right. So when you, so when we hear this, then we're talking about uh, how do they become uh, effectual means of salvation it says 
baptism and Lord's Supper become effectual means of salvation, not for any virtue in them. So we agree mm -hmm. here that it's mm -hmm. not the, the acts themselves that make them effectual for salvation. Right. Look, Simon, Simon the sorcerer is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, he receives believers baptism. Yep. And Peter tells him he's a son of wickedness and he needs to repent because he tries to buy the Holy Spirit. So there's a very clear example of someone who had the sign, but did not have the effectual, the effectual working of the Spirit of God, giving what the sign pointed to, the blood of Christ, yeah. the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. unto salvation. So no, and that's, that's right. And, that, and that's why we wait till we know they're believers instead of when they're babies. So and, and uh, even, <laughs> hey, even and even and even where that was a low blow. But, <laughs> I'm just but saying I appreciate you. I just appreciate you making my argument for me, though. Oh, Listen, no, no, I no. want everyone to understand Nick is that. Nick is so much smarter than me. Oh, I, I want everyone to understand that he is so much smarter than me. And the fact that I just flexed him. Makes oh, me yeah, that was that was a pile driver. Dude. <laughs> it no, felt but we, we would say that too we would say that about the believers i just my last baptism was a 17 year old mm -hmm. who professed faith in christ had never been baptized how beautiful is that mm -hmm. first baptism i had was a believer's baptism we do believe in that but even whether it is believers baptism or covenantal to the children of professing believers we both agree that they don't become effectual means of salvation correct because of anything in it yeah and and further than that we're going to say it's it's not just because it's been applied to anyone exactly, and like you see that in the church today, or in some ways, where um, I think sometimes there's youth that become confused, right? In the sense that, like, I grew up in the church, obviously mm -hmm. I'm saved. Like, I grew up going to youth group, I grew up uh, being a part of these things, I, I grew up uh, listening to the messages, but you don't see it actually playing out in their day to day, mm -hmm. right? Like you don't right. see a professing faith, right? Uh, right. Uh, that's not just lip service, but it's also, I mean, you know, um, it, it's also in their actions and in their attitudes, yes? Yeah, definitely. And and in that first statement, not for any virtue in them, baptism or the Lord's Supper, both the Westminster Assemblymen and the men that drafted the London Baptist 1689 are really taking on Roman Catholicism and, you know, that idea that the sacraments, yes. or I think Baptists call them ordinances, yep. that they don't work ex opere operato. They don't work out from themselves. God has not invested any kind of like power into water or bread or wine. Yeah, there's, no, there's no transubstantiation, right? There's, there, no, there's no transubstantiation, but there's no power invested. The spirit's not bound to them so that whenever anybody partakes of them or receives them, that, that automatically they're changed. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, no. And, and, but then it also says, right, uh, it's not for any virtue in them or in him that doth administer them. It's not about the individual that administers them. There's nothing. There's no secret incantation that they are now giving. Uh, there's it's not because of, of their faith or it's not because of of their standing before God that makes these uh, these ordinances or these sacraments uh, effectual means of salvation. Yeah, that's right. And there's two things at work in the drafting of that statement. One is, do you remember early in the book of Acts where Peter and I think John healed a man? I think it's Acts 4. And and the people come and they're, they're astonished. And Peter says, it's not because of any power or godliness in us, mm. 
but basically because of Christ, this man is whole. Yeah. So, so Peter's saying, look, it's not because we're so godly, this guy is healed. It's because of Jesus and what he's doing. And then the other thing is there's a historical background where there was a movement that basically uh, intimated around the time of the Reformation that um, that if a man uh, if a man apostatized, so if if you were baptized by a minister, and this was the case with me actually, Jimmy, I was mm. baptized by a man who today is assumedly apostate. He calls himself a Buddhist Christian. Oh. I don't know some okay. kind of amalgamation of all kinds of false everything. Yeah. That doesn't mean that that baptism is illegitimate. It doesn't mean uh, that God still doesn't use it because the man um, himself proved to be a fraud. So that's an important point. Um, it's it's not it's it it doesn't depend on the man himself. Even though we would agree that an ordained minister of a true church applies the sign, right? Yeah, I would. Assume. We agree with that. Yeah, we agree. It's it's a qualified individual within the assembly, right? Like right. <laughs> within right, the right, assembly, right. Uh, it, you know. I mean, I, it, it's to happen within the assembly, within the church, which is why I struggle, right? Uh, when I see these baptisms happening in a pool, like I know, you I know, know. kind of just happens. Hey, spur of the moment, let's get baptized, kind of a thing. Uh, and it's it, one sometimes it's oftentimes it's not done by a minister, but sometimes it is done by a minister. But yet you're right. you're you're still not within the local assembly before the people of God. Yeah, and some people have a hard time with that because they say, well, look, Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch in, I believe, Acts chapter 8. And they say, well, what's the difference there? Well, there was no organized new covenant church at that point. You have to remember the book of Acts is sort of a, a crossover between the old and the new covenant, right? Yeah, yeah. The new covenant has come, Christ has ascended, the Spirit's been poured out, poured out, the apostles are preaching the fullness of the gospel and the signs and wonders accompanying it. But but everything in the book of Acts is not normative, mm. even if it was a work of God. So we want to be careful not to appeal to a passage like that to say, well, Philip could baptize this Ethiopian eunuch, then my uncle Jim can dunk me in a pool and, and that's a baptism. Because and, and this is hard for people because I do agree with you. I think the normative as the church advances, and you even see this in the progression of the new covenant, is that baptism is happening in the context of a local congregation, right? Even when yeah. Paul says, I thank God that I didn't baptize anybody other than these few households because you know, I was given a special mission to preach the gospel as, a, as an evangelist, as a church planner. Nevertheless, as the church develops and establishes and is established, the, the, the sacraments or the ordinances, as the London Baptists will call it, they've been entrusted to the local church, right? And yeah. they've been entrusted those called and qualified men that God has called to preserve fidelity in the church, right? Doctrinal and, and practice and worship. So why is it that we practice these? We don't, we don't, so like, you know, we just had a baptism last weekend um, and it was beautiful to watch. Uh, you know, we had, uh, we do uh, the, the Lord's Supper. We do it every Sunday at Redeemer. Um, and, and we, now we've had in the past where people have asked, can I do it? Can we go ahead and, you know, do this within our Bible study, our community group? Right. And we've said, no, no. Right. Uh, why is it? that we we you know uh have these only for within the local assembly 
Yeah, I mean, this is a difficult question because it takes a bit of exegetical unpacking. I mean, the first thing I'd say is, again, remember, there's a progress of revelation in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So what you see in Acts progresses into the letters of Paul and Peter and John to the churches that are being established. And as that progression happens, you see the apostles addressing organized local congregations. And one of the ones I think is so pronounced when we're talking about this subject is 1 Corinthians, right? Paul is writing to a church he planted. He's writing to Corinth. Corinth is laden with problems. One of those problems is the abuse of the supper. The rich are eating ahead of the poor. They're not waiting for one another. They're getting drunk. Paul says, don't you have houses to eat and drink in on your own? So there, notice Paul is, is delineating between individual Christians in their homes and individual Christians in a local church gathered setting. Mm-hmm. And then exegetically, this is the strongest for me, Jimmy. The strongest is exegetically when Paul comes to take up the Lord's Supper, when he said, I received from the Lord what I give to you, how the Lord on the night he was betrayed, and he goes on to, to give the uh, reiteration of the the institution of the supper, and then he gives the warning, right? He yep. says, but am in yourself, and, and Paul is giving these apostolic and pastoral instructions and warnings, he says recurrently, I think five times, I could be mistaken, but I think five times in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, he says, when you come together, Mm. I mean, Mm. it's like a broken record. He just keeps saying it. But when you come together, these are the instructions I give you. So um, it doesn't take a whole, it's almost explicit. Mm. Paul's saying, Mm. this is something you're doing when you come together. And there's warnings that the apostles and the pastors are giving, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yep, that, that'd yep. be the strongest argument why we don't just, you know, have the Lord's Supper in my Wednesday evening small group. Yeah. Yeah. So we talk, okay, baptism, Lord's Supper, effectual, uh, uh, become effectual means of salvation, not for any virtue in them or in him that doth administer them, but only by the blessing of Christ and the working of the Spirit in those that by faith receive them. So what is this blessing of Christ? You know, before we answer that, let me back up and say, what does it mean that they become effectual means of salvation? Yeah, yeah. let's do that. Yep. So, so the, the, and the reformed have often used the phrase means of grace, yep. right? That, that God, God doesn't just do a work of grace by osmosis, Now, I was converted. I was in the far country, and the Lord brought me to repentance and gave me a new heart. I wasn't in church, but but I had a foundation. I'd been taught the truth. I knew the gospel. I knew the truth. I knew the scriptures. I knew who Jesus was according to scripture intellectually. And the Lord used the scripture, and the scripture is the primary means of grace. But but the Reformed and and the Reformed Baptists are going to they're going to speak of baptism and the Lord's Supper as means of grace. The three that we're usually going to talk about are the Word, the sacraments or the ordinances, and then prayer. Yeah. Those are the three chief means of grace. This, this is So we're saved by Christ alone, by faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone, right? Yep. Through the Scriptures alone. But, but in the continuance of the Christian life, in us making our pilgrimage to heaven, we need, we need to receive more grace to carry us along. And, and God gives us, thankfully, more means than just Scripture, right? Scripture touches the ears, right? Yep. It's, it's the primary means 
Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And yet God is so gracious that he gives us these visible signs Mm -hmm. of Christ and the saving work of Christ to touch our other senses. I've always thought that was a really awesome thing. So, so God, God gives more grace through signs that are visible, tangible, right? With the Lord's Supper, you can taste. Yep. You can see, right? It's a visible display. This is the drama. This, and this is why the reforms say we don't have drama teams. This is our drama team. Yeah. Right. Yep. God is, God has given us the, the play. He's given us the act. He's given us the redemptive historical signs. But, but we really and truly um, are carried along in our salvation, even though we can't lose our salvation if we're in Christ, if we're united to Christ. Nevertheless, these are means God gives us to carry us along to our final salvation, right? The, mm. the consummation, the glorification, right? Yep. Yes, yes. So then getting back to then, it's only by blessing of Christ and the work in the Spirit and those that by faith receive them. Right. So there's two parts here, right? The blessing of Christ is both the accomplishment of what Jesus has done. So what he has secured by his death on the cross, mm-hmm. specifically in his resurrection. Yes. And and we know that on the cross he sheds his blood to cleanse his people. There's the there's the um there's the analogy to baptism. And we know on the cross he sheds his blood and his body's broken to take the curse that we deserve to take the condemnation that we deserve, to forgive us of our sins, to reconcile us to God. So whatever baptism and the Lord's Supper point to, we, we can't say that they point to anything less than that. Mm. So, so he secures that blessing, but then he also gives the blessing. So, so if Christ were not if, if Christ were not ascended and glorified, rolling and reigning, interceding for us, and blessing the means that he has appointed, we would receive no blessing from them. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Absolutely. So so the only reason I know that baptism and the Lord's Supper are not these sort of just empty rituals is because I know Christ is in heaven and he's promised to bless them for the the, the spiritual good of the souls of the elect for whom he died. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then the working of the spirit, right? The spirit has to has to make these means work in us. And you know, I just preached on John 3 on you must be born again. You know how Jesus says the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So mm-hmm. is everyone who's born of the spirit. In the same way, we can say in in the Christian's growth and grace, unless the spirit comes and accompanies the means that God has appointed, and makes them effectual in us. And, and they're not tied to the moment of application necessarily. So, so he's using them in us and the spirits at work in us. He is, he is making them do what he has appointed them to do, but it's only by the spirit applying to us. Now, this is a really cool thought. I had never heard this before. When I was a young Christian, I read uh, something Ger- Gerhardus Voss wrote where he, sa- he essentially said, how is it that the Holy Spirit can apply the finished work of Jesus to you and to me. He says, because it's the same spirit, the writer of Hebrews says, that Christ by the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. And and Voss says, the Holy Spirit was at the cross. Christ offered himself to God Mm. by the 
Spirit. And the same Spirit that was there by whom Christ offered himself without spot to God is the Spirit he gives us and the Spirit who comes and makes makes the, the finished work of Christ effectual in us. Isn't that awesome? That is amazing. That's awesome. No, that's, that's fantastic. It's so encouraging. So how do baptism and the Lord's Supper become effectual means of salvation? Baptism and the Lord's Supper become effectual means of salvation, not for anything in virtue in them, right? Or those that administer them, but only by the blessing of Christ and the working of the Spirit. And so we approach these. We approach these uh, as we are uh, in, in service, when, it, when we approach the table, when we're seeing baptism. Uh, we don't approach these as just going through the motions, but we're remembering as, as Nick just said there, we're remembering with these visual representations, these means of grace to carry us along. And I don't know about you, but I know that I struggle often and every Sunday being reminded, being reminded yet again of what Christ did is an encouragement and it strengthens me uh, because by faith, I know that it is he it, my hope is in him and his work and what he has done. And by the spirit, I'm reminded of that. Uh, and I put my faith and my trust in that. Amen. Well, well, we'd love to hear you guys' thoughts. You can follow us online on Instagram and Twitter at Doc and Devo or on Facebook slash Doctrine and Devotion. You can head to the website, DoctrineDevotion.com. There you can contact us. You can sign up for the email blast. Hit the store, JoeFoStore.com and grab some gear. We got that fresh pottery Monday and Thursday and Nick's going to be joining us again on Thursday. We've got that. Uh, we got uh, blog posts and video content over at the website. We've also got that banter of truth. And so actually in tomorrow's episode, we're going to go ahead and make that a free preview where we've got Nick uh, and Pastor David uh, Strain is going to be joining us uh, as as we go through confessional integrity. And so make sure uh, you listen on that. You've also got your weekday wisdom Monday through Friday. So if you're not an all access subscriber, you're going to be able to get tomorrow's uh, banter of truth for free. But if you like it, enjoy it, please head on over to DrVotion.com slash all access and sign up. Later. Later.